So we're going to read uh, chapter 23 in Exodus. We're going to start in verse 20, but we're going to read through 24, verse 8. So Exodus, beginning in 23, 20, and we'll read through chapter 24, verse 8. So, the book of Exodus, chapter 23, beginning verse 20. The fire fades and the grass withers, but the word of our God endures forever. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way, and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do. But you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God. And he will bless your bread and your water. And I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. I will send hornets before you, which shall turn, uh, which shall drive out the, Hitt the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. But little by little I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines, and from the wilderness to the Euphrates. And I will give you the inhabitants of the land into your hand. You shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them or their gods. They shall not dwell on your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, with seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. And he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins and half the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people. And said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all of these words. Since so the reading of the Lord's word this morning, let's pray and ask him to, uh, to bless it. Guys, we come before you. We thank you for your word. Uh, but we need you, Lord. We need your spirit so that we would understand. Uh, because on our own, Lord, we are dull. We cannot hear. We cannot see. You are the spirit who opens our eyes and opens our ears and opens our heart. So please work on us, Lord, through your word this morning. May uh, the preaching of the word be glorifying to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So there's um, a lot of important things in Scripture. They happen on mountains. 
So there's Mount Ararat, where Noah's Ark came to rest. Uh, and that was an important mountain because it was on that mountain that God made the covenant of common grace with all of creation. Uh, there's Mount Moriah, where Abraham offered, almost offered Isaac before God provided a substitute. Um, and the book of Exodus is dominated by Mount Sinai, where Moses met God in the burning bush back in chapter 3. And this is the same mountain where God descends in smoke and fire and thunder to deliver the Book of the Covenant, which we have just been unpacking for the last month. The Book of the Covenant is Exodus 21 through 23. Uh, you could also include 20. And this Book of the Covenant, God delivers to His people. And here on this mountain, God then covenants with Israel. And this mountain, this covenant on this mountain, will dominate not just Exodus, but the entire Old Testament. Because this covenant that God makes, it forms the foundation of Israel's identity. And all future revelation in Old Testament is rooted in this covenant. However, as we all know, as important as this covenant is, as, as foundational as it is, it didn't last forever. Mount Sinai and its covenant stood for a thousand years. But eventually... Another mountain took its place. So how does this fit in with our, our passage today? Well, in Exodus 23, 20 through 24, 8, this passage is, is the finale of the book of the covenant, of Exodus 21 through 23, these chapters. And it's here in our passage today that the covenant is clearly laid out. Because it's here that God says who's involved in this covenant. He says what the requirements are, what's, what's expected from everyone, and then he seals it. With blood. So what we'll see is that this, in this passage, God binds himself to his people in a blood-sealed covenant that requires perfect obedience. So God binds himself to his people here on this mountain in a blood-sealed covenant that requires perfect obedience. Let's turn to the text. First, uh, let's unpack what it means that God binds himself to his people. In other words, who's involved in this covenant? So verse 20, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. So first thing that we learn is that God will send an angel uh, to guard Israel so that they arrive at the place that He, God, uh, has prepared for them. So what He's saying is, I am the one who's prepared the place, but I'm sending someone as my representative to bring you there, to guard you and bring you to the place I've prepared. But this means that the first person involved in this covenant is God. God is the first person involved in this covenant, which means three things. First, it means that God is the initiator of this covenant. In Exodus 20, God says to Israel, I have brought you out of Egypt. I brought you to myself. I will be your God. God initiated their salvation out of Egypt. God initiated bringing them to himself. And he initiates this covenant that he's about to establish with them. So if you were to think of, of Israel's relationship to God in terms of a marriage, which God often does, he, God, is the one pursuing Israel. He's the one chasing after her, pursuing her, winning her over, and marrying her to himself. He's the one who has said that he shall be, that he shall have no other people. That Israel will be his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples of the earth, God chose Israel to be his people. 
which means he initiates, he establishes, he's the one who brings them to himself. And secondly, it means that God is the king of this covenant. Now in the ancient world, covenants were often between a strong king and a weaker king. And the stronger king would provide protection, um, he would provide uh, provision, and the weaker king would provide tribute. Right? They'd pay him and the, and the stronger king would protect and, and come to their aid if they got attacked. So the stronger king, he's the one who got to set the terms of the covenant. He's the one who, who lays out the terms, says this is how much tribute you give, this is how much I'll do for you. He's the one who sets the terms of the covenant. And so if you look back at verse 13 of chapter 23, God says, Pay attention to all that I have said to you. And then in verse 21, he says, Pay careful attention to him, the angel, and obey his voice. And then verse 22, If you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say. So a few times we see that God is the one setting the terms. He's saying, This is what I'm saying. I get to tell you what to do, and you need to do it. I am the king of of this covenant. And so this means that uh, this angel who's coming to, to Israel, when God sends this angel, this angel comes and, he's, and God says, obey his voice, do not rebel against him, verse 21, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. In other words, God as the king sends a covenantal representative that this angel is God's covenantal representative. And Israel must offer him the same obedience that they would offer to God. And they offer obedience to God because God's the king. Which leads to our third point. God binds himself to Israel. God is the initiator. God is the king. But he's the one who binds himself to Israel. We see this first in the fact that he sends a representative who bears God's name to Israel. This means that this angel is carrying all of God's authority, all of God's word, and all of God's love to Israel. And what does this representative do? He guards Israel. He protects them. He ensures that Israel is brought to the place that he's prepared. And in other places, God says, I have brought you to myself. That he is the one bringing Israel to himself. And binding himself to Israel. That he's saying, when my angel goes out, I am there. I am with you. I am bound to you. I will accomplish all the things that I will say that I will do. And that I will protect you. So this angel, it carries God's authority. God's power. He says in verse 23 that my angel goes before you and will bring you to the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Say that seven times fast. Uh, and I will blot them out. But this angel also carries God's word. Right? Verse 22, obey his voice and all that I, God, say. Which means that when the angel speaks, it's God speaking. So God is giving himself to Israel, giving his word to Israel, giving his authority to Israel, his power to Israel, and this angel is to guard. And then to confirm all of this, right, that God is the one doing this, he's, he's binding himself to Israel, we see in Exodus 24, verse 6, if you turn the page to 24, verse 6, 
Moses writes down all the words of the Lord in verse 4. He builds an altar. They sacrifice offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. In verse 6, Moses took half the blood and put it in basins, and half the blood he threw against the altar. So we'll talk more about what this all means in a little bit. But for now, this blood being thrown against the altar means that the covenant is now binding for God. That God is willingly binding himself to this covenant, saying half the blood thrown against the altar means that God is bound by blood to this covenant. And he's doing this willingly. He's not saying, you need to do your part and I'll do whatever I want. He binds himself to Israel by blood to fulfill all that he promised to do. Think about what this means. This means that God, the, the creator, the creator of heaven and earth, the king, he pursues Israel to make her his wife. He showers her with blessings and he binds himself to her in covenant. Which leads us to the second member of this covenant, Israel. Half the blood is thrown against God and the altar. The other half, verse 8, the other half of the blood is thrown against the people. The two parties of this covenant are God and the people Israel. So let's do a quick comparison of Israel to God. Three quick points here. Israel is a hodgepodge collection of uh, slaves, sojourners, and grumblers. Not exactly queen material, right? And yet, who does God pursue? Israel is the vassal, right? the servant in the relationship. God says, let my people go to Pharaoh that they may serve me. That Israel is the one, the servant of God. And yet, God calls Israel his treasured possession. A kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Uh, in other words, Israel is slaves, sojourners, grumblers, servants. And yet, God the king wants them. In other words, God didn't bind himself to Israel because she was beautiful or because she was deserving. God bound himself to Israel and that makes her beautiful. That makes her deserving. Because God binds himself to his people. He's the king and yet he chooses slaves and, and grumblers to be his people, to be his treasured possession. So the first thing we see in this covenant, that God binds himself to his people. He willingly binds himself to his people. And now we get to turn to what's required of each person. Right, every covenant has terms and conditions. Uh, if you buy a house and sign a mortgage, right, you are required to pay $80,000 a month, and the bank is required to give you like five cents um, or whatever it is. Right? You pay them the money, the mortgage, and they give you enough money to buy a house. Um, there's terms and conditions. If either of you fail in that arrangement, right, it falls apart. You don't pay your mortgage, you lose the house, the bank doesn't give you the money. Uh, I'm not actually sure what happens there, but probably something happens to them. Um, the Sinai Covenant has terms and conditions too. Not just for Israel, but also for God. That from God's side, here is what He promises to do in this covenant. 
Verse 22, I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. Verse 23, I will blot out uh, all the people in the promised land. I will blot them out. Verse 25, I will bless your bread and your water. I will take away sickness from among you. Verse 26, none shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. Verse 27, I will send my terror out before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. Verse 28, I will send hornets before you. shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites before you. In verse 29, I will not drive them out slowly, but I will still drive them out. Verse 30, little by little, I will drive them out before for you. Verse 31, I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines, from the wilderness to the Euphrates, and I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand. You shall drive them out before you. So, there's a lot that God promises, but to summarize it all, God promises in this covenant protection, a land for them to possess, and complete loyalty to them. That God promises to protect them, he gives them a land, and he promises complete loyalty to them. I will be enemy to your enemies, adversary to your adversaries. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will bless your bread and your water. In other words, God is saying, I will love you, I will bless you, I will protect you, I will give myself to you, I will be loyal completely to you as my people. And that is what God promises to do. Now from Israel's side... Israel, their responsibilities, their obligations in this covenant is that they must obey God and his covenantal representative, the angel. They must obey him. They must not rebel against him. Verse 21, uh, if they obey his voice and do all that he commands, then he will be enemy to the enemies. Verses 22, uh, verse 21 and 22. And I want you to notice, verse 22, if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies. And notice that this is a conditional statement. That if you obey, then I will be on your side. Which means that if the reverse is true, if Israel disobeys, that God will not be on their side. And he confirms this saying, Do not rebel against this angel, verse 21, for he will not pardon your transgressions. Uh, transgressions there, that word is a technical term. It's a technical term for, for crimes, for violations of the law. Which means that we've just been reading a whole lot of laws in the book of Exodus. And so what he's saying is that if Israel breaks these laws that we've just heard in 21 through 23, uh, their crimes will not be pardoned. And there's a conditional relationship. If you obey, then I will be. In verse 24. Israel is required to not bow down to their gods or serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. Israel, when they come into the land, must destroy the false gods and their pillars. Pillars are covenantal memorial stones. They are it's significant because the temptation of Israel, as soon as they enter the land, and in fact actually before, um, will be to turn to other gods. And to turn to another God, when you are covenanted already to God the Father, to, to Yahweh, to covenant with a different God is spiritual adultery. So again, if you picture Israel's relationship to God as a marriage, to worship or to serve or to make covenants with any other God is adultery. So Israel is commanded 
to serve the Lord their God alone. Verse 25. And verse 32. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. So to summarize Israel's responsibilities, her side of the covenant, Israel is to be exclusively faithful to the covenant, to keep God's laws, and to serve Yahweh alone as their Lord and their King. So for both parties, both God and Israel, this covenant calls them to be completely loyal to each other. That both are required to be perfectly loyal to each other. Israel's to call to keep all of God's laws, to never make any covenant with any false god or worship any other god. And in this covenant, here in this passage, there is no pardon for crimes, and if they rebel, God will withdraw his protection. Which means that this covenant requires perfect obedience. And Israel knows this. And that's why they say in 24 verse 3, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules, and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. All the words that God has spoken, all the laws, everything we just read, Israel says, I will do this. In other words, Israel commits herself to this covenant. And so in verse 6, God or Moses takes half the blood and throws it against the altar. And in verse 8, Moses take, takes the blood and throws it on the people. And said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So Israel and God both promise obedience. They promise to uphold this covenant. And the blood of the covenant is thrown against God and against the people. Which means that the covenant is now sealed. So in this covenant, God binds himself to his people. It requires perfect obedience. And it is sealed with blood. This is because in a covenant, blood binds everyone it touches to the covenant. Blood signals the fact that you are now committed to this covenant, even unto death. But blood also seals and solidifies the covenant. Blood makes the covenant visible and tangible and touchable. And blood seals it closed, which means that nothing can be added to the covenant and nothing can be taken away. When the blood is thrown against God and against the people, it means that God will not change what he says he will do, nor will any of Israel's responsibilities be revoked or added to. It is sealed. It is closed. It is done. It is finished. It is established. And it cannot be changed. And that's why Moses sets up 12 pillars in, verse 20, in chapter 24, verse 4. 12 pillars. 12 covenantal memorial stones. That by blood and by stone, this covenant is sealed. And as we look throughout the rest of Scripture, we see that this covenant on Mount Sinai does indeed endure for a long, long time. It does not change for a long, long time. For over a thousand years, Mount Sinai stood as the covenant that defined Israel's relationship to God. But even still, it only took nine chapters for Israel to break it. In Exodus 32... Israel makes the golden calf and bows down to it. 
and ensnares herself to a false god. And in response, Moses shatters the stone tablets of the covenant. In nine chapters, that's all it took for Israel to break the covenant so bad that it was gone and shattered. However, God in His mercy and His patience reestablished it. He made new tablets. The covenant was reinstituted in Exodus 34. But the terms don't change. It's still conditional upon Israel's obedience. And over and over again, Israel would fall to the temptation to worship false gods. Israel would go into the land and worship all of the Baals, all of the false gods. She would set up two golden calves. And she would rebel against the word of the Lord. And so finally, Israel was exiled from the promised land. And the Sinai covenant was finally shattered. But you know that's not the end of the story. Because if that were the end of the story, then you and I wouldn't be here. Because as I mentioned in the introduction, when Sinai fell, another mountain rose to take its place. And in many, many ways, this second mountain covenant is similar to the first. Because yet once more, God would bind himself to his people on a mountain. Yet once more, this covenant would require perfect obedience from everyone in it. Yet once more, this covenant would be sealed with blood. But the similarities don't just end there. Like in Exodus 23, God would send a covenantal representative and commanded his people to obey his voice and listen to him because the name of the Lord was in him. And like in Exodus 23, God would promise blessings and favor conditional upon perfect obedience. But there's a few differences between the first mountain and the second. The differences are that in the first one, in Exodus 23, the covenantal representative would not pardon transgressions. But in the new covenant, the covenantal representative would offer himself as the substitute sacrifice in order to pardon the transgressions of God's people. Both mountains require perfect obedience. The difference is whose. In Mount Sinai, the blood was thrown against the people. And the people said, all this we will do. In the new covenant, the blood is thrown against the Son of God. And he says, all this I will do. Because in Sinai, God's favor was dependent upon Israel's obedience to the covenant. But in the new covenant, God's favor is dependent upon the obedience of his son. God sent his own son, not just as a covenantal representative, but as one responsible to uphold it, to obey it perfectly. And that's why, Paul, that's why Jesus had to be born under the law, as Paul said, so that he could keep it. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. This means that in the new covenant, even though it is deeply similar to Sinai, the difference is that nothing in it is conditional upon your obedience. Everything in it is conditional upon Christ's obedience. This means that the promises of the new covenant are guaranteed not by you, but by Jesus. And it is sealed. 
This new covenant is sealed in blood. Whose blood? Jesus' blood. The sacrificial lamb who went to the cross, who spilled his blood and sealed a covenant for his people. This means that all the promises of God are unchangeable. That nothing can be added to it or taken away from it. Which means that everything that God promises to you, he will keep because Jesus Christ lived perfectly and sealed this covenant to you with his blood. And his promises are actually way, way better than everything God offered in Sinai. And in the Sinai covenant... God promises land, protection, and complete loyalty. But in the new covenant, God promises all of that. But then he also promises to you complete forgiveness of your sins. God promises eternal life to you. God promises that he will pour out his spirit upon you. He promises that he will give you Jesus' righteousness. He promises that he will, be his God, you, he will be your God and you will be his people for eternity. And that he will never cast you away. And all these promises are yours and belong to you forever because they're sealed by Jesus' blood. So on this mountain covenant, not Sinai, but another mountain, Mount Golgotha, Jesus Christ sealed a covenant that required his perfect obedience where he bound himself to you. This means that nothing can change. God will not change his mind. And if you believe in Jesus Christ today, all of God's promises are yours. His favor will never be taken away from you. Which means, what then shall separate you from God's love? Shall Amorites or Hittites or Perizzites or Canaanites or, or Hivites or Jebusites separate you? Shall any of your enemies ever win against you? Can your sin separate you from God? Could death separate you from God? The answer is no. Nothing can separate you. Not sin, not death, because Jesus Christ... He forgave your sins, He washed you clean, and He defeated death. He went against your enemies... He went before you, and he wiped them out. Jesus went into the grave. He battled death, and he emerged victorious. Which means not even death can stop God from loving you. So don't put your faith in false gods. John says in 1 John, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Why? Because when we turn to idols... We turn away from the God who's promised all of this unconditionally to you. We turn away from God's grace. And we choose something else. We choose uh, a f something that is fake. So God says, don't, put your don't trust in your obedience. Don't trust in money. Don't lust after the gods of this world. Make no covenant with them. Because you are the bride of Christ. And as Christ's bride, as we learned in Sunday school today, God loves you and nourishes you and cherishes you. And he does this every single week. That every week we come to worship. And we come before the Lord's Supper this morning. And we partake of the covenant meal that shows us clearly and visibly and touchably that the covenant is sealed. and sealed with Christ's blood. 
And that's why Jesus says, the cup that he gave to his disciples, he said, this cup is the blood of my covenant. He's saying this covenant has been secured, it's been set in stone, it's been sealed, and every week we come to God's table to hear his words and to be fed and to feast on the sacrificial lamb. I'd like to invite the elder forward so that we can partake uh, of this meal. Lord, we thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you how you have uh, given us this covenant and sealed it with Christ's blood. Lord, we pray that you would uh, help us to turn from our sins, to turn from our, our worship of false gods, to turn to worship you. Lord, please continue to sanctify us in our lives. Sanctify our hearts, Lord, that so quickly run to these temptations. And may you mold us, Lord. May you mold our lives that we would walk uh, in newness of life as you have called us. Lord, thank you for all you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.